Welcome to the Bible and Me podcast from Precept UK. Being a Christian charity based here in the UK focused on helping you to know God deeply to live differently, we have discussions with some of the greatest modern men and women of God about how their relationship with God's Word, the Bible, has transformed their lives. If you are encouraged by any of the messages in this podcast, it would help us out enormously if you could leave us a review. Or better yet, get involved with God's Word for yourself at precept.org.uk. The opinions and views shared in this podcast do not necessarily reflect that of Precept UK. Now, without further ado, here's Nigel with the latest episode. Well, good morning, everybody. I am delighted to welcome Craig Dyer to the Bible and Me podcast today. Craig grew up in Scotland and after his education at Hamilton Grammar, just outside Glasgow, became a British gas salesman and also a stagecoach driver. Uh, Not content with this, he decided to study at the Irish Baptist College and has since been in full-time Christian service, both as a pastor and also the training director of Christianity Explored Ministries, some of which um, many of you may have heard of. Amongst his other pursuits, Craig loves walking his dog, listening to podcasts, cycling, and watching rugby. He's married to Margaret. They have three grown-up daughters, Claire, Jenny, and Jill, who are all in their 20s. Craig, welcome to the programme. Great to be with you, Nigel. Thank you for having me. Okay, so Craig, how did you come to faith in Christ and why are you a follower, a disciple of Jesus? Well, I guess ultimately it is it was a work of God's grace in my life. I I look back with amazement to discover that that my parents, my grandparents had uh, had prayed for me before I was born. Um, That if if, you know, so the grandparents are praying that if if they're kids grew up and were blessed with children that they would know and trust the Lord. So how kind is God um, to be at work as he was much more than that since, since before the creation of the world, as we come to discover. But then the, the, the actual impact for me was that I I was raised in a home where the Lord Jesus was loved and honored, where I, I was told about him, where I saw his love uh, I was taken to hear the gospel in, in, in the church that we belonged to as a family growing up. I'll tell you this, which is maybe surprising to people. I can remember having a conviction of sin when I was about seven for a long period. And I had no rest. Every night going to bed, I knew I needed to get right with God. Uh, that may sound absurd to people, but it's just, it's just part of the reality. I knew that I was a little rotter. <laughs> and, and although I was quite comfortable with that during the day, uh, as I lay my head in the pillow at night for a long season before I actually came to know the Lord at that very, very tender age, I, I remember what I now realise was a conviction of sin. Of course, I didn't realise that. But then one Saturday night, 1st of March 1975, mum and dad took my brother and I to the church we belonged to to hear a missionary. And he told a remarkable story of how the Lord had saved him and used him and taken him through extraordinarily difficult circumstances and the loss of his wife as a young missionary couple. Um, And so I was, I was uh, just about eight. My brother was six and we were both massively impacted by seeing in this man's life and story, how the Lord Jesus is able to hold his people through, through terrible adversity, and that made a big impact on us. And I, I think going home in the car that, that night, we were talking about it, and uh, mum and dad sort of gently said, you know, would you like to trust the Lord? And it was actually a relief to be asked. I don't think I would have plucked up the courage to have said to them, but it was a relief to be asked. 
And that night, Dad led us in prayer. So that that was the night I would say uh, I would date the point of my awareness of the beginning of a life of repentance and turning to the Lord Jesus. Yeah. So it wasn't the last time I repented. It was the first time properly. <laughs> And yeah, I've been yeah. doing it on a daily, at least daily basis ever since. But that's when <laughs> I began to trust the Lord. And I'm a I, follower of him now because I'm utterly stunned by his gospel, by what he's done for us, by the way he speaks to us from his word. And I find him to be the most compelling leader in the universe. And I find his word to be the only truth that makes sense of this world. Wow. Wow. Well, what a blessing to be brought up in a Christian yeah, home, you know, it was. actually, um, you know, we, we can, sometimes we can take that for granted, can't we? Um, but actually yeah. that, that is a real blessing. Now you grew up in Scotland, went to Hamilton yes. grammar. Uh, what are your memories growing up of family life, uh, time at school? I mean, were you head boy and no. you know, all, all that, all that stuff went to Cambridge, <laughs> no. you know? <laughs> no, no, no. You've got the wrong guy on the show. If that's what you wanted. No, they were happy days. I mean, I did not love school. I did not love, uh, education, uh, but there were happy days. I, we we belonged by that time. We belonged to a large, a largest church, large evangelical church, um, Hamilton Baptist Church, and so I was at school with many of the young people who who were at church, and it was lovely to be around them. I would have to say I was, I was good and bold in defending the gospel. But I was not wise in commending the gospel by my life. I was a bit of an idiot. There was inevitable immaturity. I kind of enjoyed the debate with teachers. I think I was probably, I probably did more harm than good. So there was, as I say, there was a willingness to stand for Christ. There was a, a, a you know, a sharp sensitivity when his name was used and when wrong things were being said about him. But it was not backed up in any way by the kind of... Uh, Kindness and spirit. Yeah. Kind, yeah. I know. I, I, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Because you, you think, right, I go, you know, you know that, but actually, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, yeah. I can I can sense what you're saying there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't. Yeah, now, it wasn't from that point of view, it, it certainly was. It's nothing to be proud of. But, but God used it, I guess, to shape me in, in different ways. And, yes, because, of course, you know, school is a microcosm of, of society. And, of course, yeah. You know, you, you you get you get all sorts at school, don't you? And, and yeah. you'll get those that come against you as you do in society as well. Absolutely. Um, now, leaving school, you became a British gas salesman and then a stagecoach driver yeah. over a period of four years. I yeah. mean, pretty pretty different jobs those are. Um, so, how did you go from from British gas salesman to stagecoach driver yeah. to attending the Irish Baptist College? Yeah, well, it's, it, it does sound, your, your little pro forma for, for preparation for this was really helpful. And I just in case anybody thinks, it wasn't the kind of Wild West stagecoach. So it, it was the stagecoach bus company, obviously. And what happened was, uh, although I, I think I think God in his kindness, even by my mid-teens, had really convicted me, captured my heart by, about the power of his word in my own life. I was being, I was being convicted by the gospel. And I, I had a desire to know it better and to help others to know it. So I was already thinking by 15, 16, I was thinking about when I left school, doing some study at college, Bible college. But I knew I was, I was extremely young to be doing that. And I wanted to get some working life experience. 
And I did a variety of jobs. I started off um, in, believe it or not, in security for a, a store in, in an arcade in Glasgow. And then, as, as you rightly said, I got a job with British Gas on the sales side in Hamilton Showroom, which was amazing. And then I left that when the coach industry uh, was deregulated and there was opportunities then. And I, I, I did my training and got my license and loved that. Just just had an absolute ball um, as a young guy, as you can imagine, without uh, much responsibility, but just enjoyed uh, that kind of work. And it gave me working life experience, which is what I was looking for, to really kind of understand uh, life from a working perspective and get alongside people and, and just see how it all works and just discover things about myself. So that was a, a very important time, I would say, in my life. And then when I was uh, 20, after about four years of these various jobs, um, uh, I went to, as you've said, the Irish Baptist College, which was a, a great joy. I was well taught. We had a tremendous opportunity to, to begin, begin to learn to preach there. Um, I was enormously helped by all the staff, by Pastor Gerald Rogers, as I think of him. He took me under my under his wing for my middle year at college as a student assistant to him. Uh, that gave me a colossal exposure to the realities of full-time gospel work that I, I don't think I understood. And I made lifelong friendships there that have been really an incalculable help to me across the years. Um, yeah. So that was a great, a great time in my life. I'm glad to see IBC still going strong. You know, standing in the word, serving churches from from across the denominational spread, not just the Baptist churches, and That's uh, great. building that essential link. Yeah, that, that that is great. Now, I mean, you um, on, on leaving the Irish Baptist College, you became a pastor um, uh, at Bells Hill Baptist, uh, just north of Hamilton, uh, and uh, for for a period of about six years or so. And then uh, pastor of Harper Church in Glasgow. Uh, what are some of the highs and lows? Uh, the joys, maybe uh, the tribulations of leading people uh, in in church and also setting yeah. that example for others to yeah. follow. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's remarkable in pastoral life in the space of a couple of days, even in the space of a few hours, you can go from um, meeting with a couple and planning a wedding to going to see a stricken family and planning a funeral. So there are these extremes of experience. And I think I discovered that the, the word of God brings an evenness so that both the occasions of the greatest joy and the occasions of the deepest sadness, you can see in both of them that they're a privilege to be engaged with. You can see in both that there are opportunities for the Lord to shepherd his people, to prove himself to be to them in the midst of either the greatest day of joy or the deepest day of pain, utterly faithful. And, and I think I learned that early on, that he is able to hold his folks in the midst of that. And, and he, he never failed me in all that kind of ebb and flow of life. The, the joys of church leadership are obviously in, in seeing God at work by his word and his spirit in and through his people, seeing people come to trust the Lord, to grow in grace, to come strongly through uh, a painful trial maybe to see them bringing their friends to, to know the Lord. The sorrows are, are mostly in the ordinary struggles of life as, as a sinner myself, among sinners in a fallen world, so we lose those we love. Some go home safely to glory to be with the Lord. Others walk away from the life 
of the Lord Jesus. And these things are, are agony. And there can be relational strains within the church family and, and all of this can be so painful. And I think we have to remember that the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the most precious entity in the universe because he purchased it with his own blood and, and therefore it's immensely precious to him and, and will be under the attack of the enemy. Uh, yep. He'll be looking to cause as much havoc as, as possible. But the, the Lord is the shepherd of his flock and as pastors and elders, our first and foremost responsibility um, is to be his sheep, is to see ourselves as the sheep who follow him. And it's only as we follow close after him that we're going to be of any use as other shepherds to his people. And I think your, your point there, your question there about what's it like to be an example, how do you do that? I think you can only be an example precisely and, un and uniquely in that way that, that otherwise we're going to fall into hypocrisy. We're going to fall into the, the need that maybe we feel we should appear to be a certain type of person and appear to be doing certain things and make sure that we appear not to be doing other things. And so you give yourself over to a life of appearance management. And it's actually perilously easy to fall into that trap. And I'd even say there's a market for that kind of leader. Who's, who's kind of set up in a pedestal and encouraged to live an inspirational life. But I want, I want nothing to do with that, Nigel. I, I, I want to model being real about my sin. I want to be an example of somebody who confesses it, who battles with it, who repents of it, who rejoices in the power of the Lord Jesus freshly to cleanse me from it. And I, I mean, I can think back to times in my earlier days when some well-meaning folks who, who were so gracious and kind, but they would have said to me, you know, if, if you talk about your own sin like that, won't people lose confidence in you as a leader? You know, what, what are they going to think of you? <laughs> and I want to say, well, that's the best possible outcome. They will think that I'm a sinful man just like them. But hopefully what they'll see is me in the fight against my sin and, and hopefully, by the grace of God, they'll see him at work in me if he chooses by his grace to, uh, to underscore what he is doing. I can't arrange that. And hopefully they'll want to join me in following the Lord Jesus. So that's, I think that's the only example any of us can ever say. And, and I just yeah. wanted to kind of, you know, point out that it's not, you're not being an example in a fake way of a fake kind of life of being a better Christian than everybody else. That's not what you're setting yourself up to be, but rather you, you want to be real with the gospel in your life and honestly, with integrity, follow the Lord Jesus and then trust him to encourage others to follow him too. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah, that is great. Mm. Now, as a pastor, you would be preparing and then preaching uh, regularly. Um, yeah. How do you sustain the day in, day out of preparing to preach and then preaching what you have prepared um, without it becoming like a machine by rote. Yeah. How do you keep it fresh? How do you keep it fresh? And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, that famous preacher, yeah. uh, is reputed to have said at a pastor's conference many years ago, something along the lines of, your to pastors, uh, your congregations don't want to hear their pastor regurgitating what somebody else has said in a commentary 
They want to hear what you have seen in the text mm. and for you to give them what you have seen and what you have learned. So, yeah. So, so how do you answer all of that? Yeah. Well, that's a, <laughs> that is a, that's a brilliant quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones. And evidently the doctors saw the danger of those, you know, whose work it is to regularly stand up in front of the same group of people and teach them and, and, and preach to them from the word of God. And he, he must have seen the danger of these guys becoming secondhand dealers in truth, you know, just passing on the observations that others have made because we need something to say and I can't think of anything to say and maybe somebody else has said something that I could, I could use. And of course, you're under the cosh in terms of time to prepare, expectations to deliver. Um, when I, for, for most of my pastoral life, um, I was, I, I guess I was preaching at least two or three times a week to the same group of people. So that's, that's an enormous responsibility and, and, and can be exhausting. But there's a lot that's unhealthy about that model of just, as you said, just the, the, the danger of becoming like a machine. And I think, I think we need to distinguish what may be the tradition and the expectation of the, the church or the church group that we serve with um, from the biblical reality, I mean, I think New Testament eldership is always plural, and that the under shepherds in the local assembly of God's people they do their work from the Word, so we pastor by teaching. So I would I would always encourage people now to to be thinking about the structures under which we work, that they need to be examined, so that that's not an unbiblical model, that you're not a machine, that you're not utterly exhausted and incapable of having time to reflect and think and have fresh things to say. Other than that, I love, that was a great quote you gave us. I'll quote George Mueller as accurately as I can. He famously- For those, for those that are listening, just remind yeah. them who George Mueller was. Well, he, he was a remarkable man of God from the Southwest of England who did a phenomenal amount of work with principally known for his work among orphans. Um, uh, at a time when, you know, the impact he made was was just astounding with so micro such microscopic resources, and yet he leaned on the Lord, and the Lord never failed him. And he had enormous demands upon him, and he said this: the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my own soul happy in the Lord. And I would say that is the key to any kind of ministry, whether paid ministry or unpaid ministry. It's, it is to have a, a personal relationship with the Lord where, whereby you know that by his grace, he's at work in your life and he's speaking to you from his word and you're close to him and you're repenting of your sin and you're rejoicing in the gospel. And I would say I've found applying that truth to be the most constructive thing and equally failing to apply that truth, Nigel, to be the most destructive thing mm. in, in ministry. So we, so we come, pastors, elders in the local church, we come as sheep to be fed and nourished by the chief shepherd. And if I'm not doing that, then whatever else I, I, I think I'm doing for him it's hypocritical, it's dangerous to the Lord's people, and it's dangerous to my own soul. 
So we need to be drinking deep from the wells to, 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 as I say, to see our own sin, to see our wonderful salvation in the Lord Jesus, to know the love of the Lord for us and the power of his spirit by whom we serve as people and then fly the ministry off fire, um, I think is the key thing. Mm, wonderful. That is great. Now, in 2013, you became the training director for Christianity Explored Ministries. Mm. So I, I want to ask a few questions about this. First of all, how did the ministry start? The ministry started really in the mid-90s when Rico Tice, who was the staff evangelist at All Souls Lang in Place, under the, originally under the ministry of John Stott, um, was developing a means of engaging the whole church family in evangelism. There was a long, long time in, in UK evangelicalism where evangelism was event-driven to the extent that you had special meetings or special Sunday meetings and you brought your friends to it and they, you sat and listened to a presentation and then they all went away and so on. And, and there was a desire to, to get back to a more biblical model whereby the whole church family were taking responsibility to have gospel truth in their minds and in their hearts to be able to share with their friends. And so Rico began working on that that kind of force that that kind of course format um, of of taking people through the Gospel of Mark, and and it was trialed and retrialed and retrialed and, and uh, reconstructed and deconstructed at mm -hmm. All Souls for years and years and years before, and we do that with all our materials before it finally came to 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 be known uh, as it is today. So, so it was that basic idea, Nigel. It started because we, because he could see and others could see the need to get the whole church family talking about the Lord Jesus from his word. And how yeah. do we do that? You know. Yeah. Uh, so what is the, the course itself? Uh, and where does the course run? Yeah. Well, um, the, the course itself is, is a journey through Mark's gospel, now, now in seven sessions, where people can discuss the Bible text, can ask any questions they like, can listen to and watch a, a, a film that unpacks part of it, and, and again, close the evening with discussion. So we're, we're putting the Bible front and centre, we're putting the person and work of Jesus front and centre. Who is he? Why did he come into the world? What does it mean to be his follower? And it's run in the most amazing variety of places across the whole world. I mean, it's run under a tree outside a village in East Africa. It's run uh, with uh, a lunch club for pensioners. It's run in student accommodation. It's, it was run in a Polaris submarine, or a nuclear submarine at least, under the North <laughs> Atlantic. I mean, it, it's just, I mean, it's so flexible. You can do it anywhere. You do it one-to-one. -one. Um, I mean, there's just, there's no end to the scope where believers can get with their friends who don't know the Lord Jesus and just open his word and begin to talk about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing. I remember being at a Christian Vision for Men conference. Yeah. And I want to say it was 1996. And Rico Tice was the yeah. invited guest. And he was trialing out what was to become Christianity Explored at that conference over that weekend. Amazing. Yeah, that would be right. Yeah. Mid-90s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Um, Amazing. He's somebody that I need to get on the podcast. Um, <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Um, now, um, 
what is your role within uh, the Christian Ethics Board Ministries? Um, what does it entail? Yeah. And secondly, how have you done this during the whole lockdown period? Yeah, sure. Well, my role, the, the title is training director. It, it's, it sounds grand. It's essentially, um, it's it's my privilege to help to um, supply the, the demand for training and evangelism, uh, including the practical use of the Christian Ethics Board course, but not, not exclusively for that. We, we do... We just try to encourage people to have confidence in the word of God. That's the big thing, that by his word, through the power of his spirit, he is going to walk off the pages of the Bible into people's lives. And we, we want people to, to be thrilled about that, to, to feel it for themselves and to be able to enthusiastically engage in this work. So that's essentially what we do. And, and we have the privilege of serving the Lord across, really across the globe now in over a hundred and I guess over 130 countries around the world, multiple translations, which is a huge privilege. And in lockdown, although my wings have been clipped and I've not been able to travel for obvious reasons, again, in the kindness of God, you and I are talking today, we're doing this podcast and, and, and Zoom and other platforms have been such a blessing um, as we've been able to maintain that work and, and see it grow in some areas uh, in spite of the obvious restrictions. So it has, uh, you know, work has gone on. We've been running courses online during uh, lots of local churches have been doing that during uh, the pandemic. And I've seen people actually coming on the course that we think would never have come to a physical course. They would never have gone to the coffee shop or to the local church hall or whatever. Um, but they've been happy to come on from the spare bedroom and, and engage with us. And so I, we hope that that will continue to be a, a fruitful means of um, building a relationship with these folks. Yeah. I, I mean, do you have any stories of people coming of faith through the course i mean you've probably got lots but any that well, stick out in your mind <laughs> yeah i mean i mean I, I i i mean goodness me there are so when i say there are so many i mean I, and it's while it is through the course it, we also know it's not really through the course it's through the it's through the word of god with the power of his spirit but the degree to which the course is is pointing people to jesus and his word is the is the key thing I think of one surprising guy. I mean, if I go back to my very first course, I was a, I was a pastor here in, the, in Glasgow, and we began on 9-11. Strangely enough, that was the day we planned in advance. It was a Tuesday, as everybody remembers, who was around then. And we started that night asking the question, if, 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 God, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? You can only imagine the kind of answers that we had to that question that evening. But as we went on, there was one guy called Morris who had... Um, his wife was a believer, had prayed for him for, I think, nearly 20 years. He knew the gospel. He knew he wasn't saved. Nothing seemed to be making an impact upon him. And I'll never forget, as we were talking about the cross on session five, um, and I referred back to Psalm 22, suddenly Morris said, oh, do you mean to tell me this is history? and not just made up stories. And it would never have occurred to me to have made that point, but suddenly he saw that what we were reading about here was, was verifiably historical truth about the Lord Jesus that had been with remarkable accuracy prophesied in the Old Testament, like Psam 22. I happened to read it from a Bible reading this morning. Um, 
and and he came to mind as I, as I did that. And that was what turned the lights on for him. And he, he came to know the Lord Jesus, was gloriously saved by his grace and um, is now with the Lord as is his wife and, and they'll be with him forever on account of yeah. God's kindness to her. You know, the thing that, the thing that um, <clears throat> stands me about the love of God for us, um, yeah. John 3.16, you know, um, now I'm going to forget what it says. Um, for God so loved the world <laughs> that um, he gave his only son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have yeah. eternal life. So, yeah. so the extent the extent of God's love is that he not only sent his son to die for us, but here's the thing. Yeah. He wants to spend eternity with us. Staggering. Not just Staggering. 70 years or 80 years, whatever it, you know, eternity. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, that just it is glorious. Blew, blew my mind away. You know, we can love our wives for however long we're here, but, but you know, yeah, God loves us that much. He wants to spend eternity with us. And, and the, I think, you know, it's been interesting through the pandemic. I, th- I think people do have a sense now of the brevity of life, of how suddenly life can change. Plans have to be scrapped. It's been a tough couple of years, and um, we're not quite out of the woods yet with it. And yet, I think it has made people think about life, think about death, think about what am I made for, what's it all about, and, you know, it's it's not just a chasing after the wind. It's not just a, a meaningless thing. God has come to us in the person of his son, as you say, Nigel, in order that we might be with him forever. And it is the most glorious and uh, yeah. thrilling. Really, as, I, as I tell people, if, if, if there is a clear explanation of the gospel to people, you've got to be yeah. crazy not, not to want to be a Christian. You know? Yeah. Now, yeah. um, I understand you encourage young preachers and the students on the Cornhill training course. Yeah. Um, tell us about your work there. Well, <clears throat> Cornhill uh, started in, in London many, many years ago, I guess 25 years ago or so now through the Proclamation Trust, which has been a huge blessing to me and to thousands of us, teaming thousands of us around the world. And the Cornhill training course began really as a practical training course in Bible handling. Um, lots of people were coming through theological training and they were, they were getting, you know, to some degree trained in theology, whether well-trained or not so well-trained is a, is a sidebar discussion. But what they weren't getting was really the most critical thing. How do you learn to submit yourself to the word of God, to work at the word of God, to handle the word of God in such a way that he is honoured and glorified and seen for who he is, and that people discover the Lord Jesus and know that it's him speaking. I mean, that's a, that's a thrilling work. And so that's, that's really what Cornhill's about. And it's now in Belfast, and I'm thrilled to say before that it came to Glasgow and I have the joy of being one of the trustees of the Cornhill training course in Glasgow, and I occasionally uh, do some uh, lecturing there. And leading preaching groups, I've just finished a series, I think, of about five uh, with the second years there. And just listening to young preachers and encouraging them to have a good, clear focus and work on the balances that are are necessary for um, bringing, you know, helping people to see what's really there for themselves. And I know that's so close to precept ministry as well. And and we (laughs) we love what you do because you're taking the word of God with great seriousness. 
and unleashing its power of versatile And really, you know, the, the effort of Cornhill is very similar to try and train preachers uh, to be able to handle God's word in a way that his voice is heard. Yeah, I, I, um, I've just read a book um, called uh, The Word of God um, by an author, Riken. And Philip Riken, yeah. Philip Riken. And he, um, The Word of God in English, sorry, The Word of God in English, it's called. And it's a, it is a fantastic book. Um, and what he yeah. stipulates is that it is so important for us as students of uh, or those that wish to be students of the word of God and study the word of God, that we have the Bible. If we cannot read it in its original language, which is another thing, that yeah. we have an accurate translation of yeah. the Bible. And his whole thesis is that if we are not reading an accurate translation of the Bible, then we are, the translators uh, have taken what was originally written and have to some a greater extent or lesser extent, depending on which translation you've got, put what God wanted written down into different words. Yes. And, so you're, and so you're not actually studying the word of God. You're studying what man has interpreted as the word yeah. of God rather than the word of God. And this book was just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So I, it's a little bit of a hobby horse of mine at the moment. No, that's uh, good. You know, and not to say that there isn't a place for different translations. I get that. I do understand that. But if we're going to study it, uh, um, and um, then we need an accurate translation. And so, no, I mean, uh, and and the other thing is to to really, and this is something that, that uh, you do and and we do with precept is to is to teach the skills of observing the text. Yeah. Of interpreting it in its context and then Absolutely. living it out, applying it. You know, and so. Because we live at such a pace and people will read the Bible and they yeah, I've read it. Yeah, I've got that. Okay, well, what does it actually say here? Now, I had this last night. I lead the men's group once a month and we were, were preparing for our men's. Uh, so I, I go through with some leaders yeah. and we were going through a text from Romans. And just, just one verse, Romans 10 verse 9, looking at it there. And, and I said, well, and the question was, how are we saved? And it said whatever it said. And I said, well, look at it carefully. What does it actually say? And um, yeah. They say, oh, gosh, I missed that. I missed that. But the words are there on the page. But we so easily miss it, don't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to, our, to our own massive detriment. I mean, we, you're right. We, it's possible to say you've read your Bible in the morning like a box-ticking exercise. Um, and, and you don't realise that God was there for you. He had things to say to you. It's, his word is meant to be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Why would you go out with your eyes blindfolded? Yeah. You know, so I, I, I think we, we need always to be encouraging the Lord's people, not to see Bible reading as a difficult discipline and chore, but a thrilling encounter with the living God. This is how he's going to speak by his spirit. And the work that you're doing is, is great in helping us to elucidate the truth of the text. Well, well, um, that's kind of you to say. Now, you, you're a man who has a lot of interests and different hobbies, which is great. Uh, podcasts being one of them. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what are some of your, the podcasts that you listen to? Well, I, I, quite a variety of things in, in, in one respect. Most, most of them are Christian. I do love listening to Jordan Peterson stuff. Um, that's the, you know, I, I, I don't think he knows the Lord Jesus yet, but I think he's, he's not far from the kingdom in some respects. Fascinating guy to listen to. But I, I like listening to Help Me Teach the Bible, Nancy Guthrie interviewing Bible teachers. I love listening to Christian Heritage London uh, with Ben Virgo uh, talking to Christian leaders. 
uh, Speak Life, uh, Glenn Scrivener's podcast, uh, Pep Talk. Uh, I heard you on that. Uh, Nigel, Andy Bannister from Solace and, and uh, Christy Mayer from Oak Hill College in London. Um, another one I've found very interesting recently, probably because I trained in Northern Ireland. My wife is from there. Uh, Saints and Scholars, I call it Saints and Sinners, but I think that's a race at the local race course. Uh, the Saints and Scholars by Andrew Curry on the history and current issues of the gospel in, in Ireland, I find interesting. Um, and with the A Passion for Life national mission, uh, we, we've just started a little podcast there, so I, I have a, a part to play in that, and I, I'm just trying to learn best how to do that. So it is. I, I think it is lovely to be able to... They go are amazing. Yeah, yeah, go for a walk with the dog, get the earphones on and come back really encouraged having heard someone's story and how God's at work in their life by his, by his word through his spirit. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Well, I'll, I'll check out some of those myself. Um, now, we've spoken about the word of God a lot here, but um, I ask everybody on the podcast these questions. Why is the word of God important to you? It's the means by which, the primary means by which this world can know its creator and can hear him graciously speak into our life. So it is, it is like oxygen to the lungs is the word of God. So without it, we're going to die. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Lord. So that's why the word of God is important to me. I am not God. I am not wise. I don't have insight and understanding. He has all wisdom and he has graciously committed himself to me in the volume that he has inspired called the Bible. And I cannot think of anything more important than that. Wow. Amen. Amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you have a favorite Bible book or character? Uh, well, I'm going to be very annoying and say... Honestly, the answer is whatever I'm preaching on suddenly occupies the horizons of my life and becomes, to me, the most compelling thing in the world. And I just love it. And, and I'm so excited by it. So I've not been able to identify <laughs> anything in particular. I guess, I guess, uh, especially over the years of pastoral ministry, Paul's letters to Timothy and probably one Peter would be ones that I've gone back to, one and two, Timothy, Titus, first and second Peter, I've probably gone back to again and again and again for some of the standard glorious truths that are there. But from A to Z, I'm trying to get it under my belt and love it and see God and hear God in it. You know what, Titus, we, we, we run a Bible school at Precept and uh, Titus is one of the courses that we do. And um, Brilliant. Yeah. The um, I'm just trying to see if I can remember this. Um, the grace of God has appeared, the yeah. kindness of God has appeared, and the love of God has appeared. I mean, you see that in time, you know. So, if we're looking for to say no to ungodliness, and yeah, 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 isn't that? Isn't that? Beautiful. So, if you want to see the kindness of God, look to Jesus. If you want to see the grace of God, look to Jesus. If you want to see the love of God, look to Jesus. You know? Amazing, great outline. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Use now, that. What, <laughs> now what about a favorite uh, a favorite verse well again um there are so many but i i think 
in preparation for today, I just I, my mind went to one Peter four um, ten. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God, the, the living word of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, fantastic. Absolutely great. Great, great. Yeah, whatever you're going to speak, speak speak the oracles of God. Yeah, that, that is Absolutely. wonderful. That That is wonderful. Um, now, what is next for Craig Dyer? Probably lunch, I'm hoping. Um, <laughs> but, and, and, how, and how could we pray for you as well? Well, thank you. Uh, not to be facetious, but to be sincere about that. I think, you know, we're at an exciting time in the ministry when, in the goodness of God, there is an opportunity um, where where God is already use, graciously using us um, to to help these locations reach out to the countries around them, and and we want to just use the day and the opportunity we have for that. So, I think there's going to be emphasis in that. But I'm always going to be a local church guy, and I just want to ask the Lord to um, and ask you to pray that I think just that. Isn't it that just that level of um, honesty and integrity that I would just be the one man all the time at home with my family, um, up completely on my own with my thoughts, up at the front, um, teaching and preaching what in a counselling situation, just in, in any situation that there would just be that, that oneness of character by God's grace that he would conform me more to the image of his son. And, and um, as that text has said, that I would, I would lean on him and serve with the strength that he provides so that he gets the glory. Amen. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, um, I just want to uh, thank you for uh, coming on the podcast today. You know, uh, looking back... Um, I, it, it's clear to me that really God had his hand on you from early days, really, you know, when, oh, when, a, six, when a six or seven year old um, comes to the point where you think, you know, I'm a little rascal and I need to repent of ah. my sins. You know, that's a young age to, to really have yeah, that spiritual awareness, isn't it? Uh, and then when you're 16, 17, you sense that, well, I, yeah, I sense a call to some sort of ministry, but I really need to get some life experiences here. So you go and, do your security bit and your salesman bit and your driving your coaches and um and then clearly the lord just opened up the doors uh and now you're in a very significant role um introducing many many people and training people to train others so you're a trainer of trainers really yeah um to to go through mark's gospel and what a wonderful gospel that is uh, about the Lord Jesus, so absolutely fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And well, we it's been a great joy to talk to you today, Nigel. Thank you so much for inviting me, and the Lord bless you and and uh, Precept UK. Oh, okay. Well, well, God bless you in your ministry. Thanks, brother. <laughs>